In discussion, unpack sustainability in the textile industry, following the cotton supply chain through Gujarat and Maharashtra in India, across the world to China. Discussing issues in the field with Indian farmers, local artisans and international fashion houses, from fibre to fabric to fashion. China dominates the global textile market, producing over 50% of the world's fabrics. And if Kutch is the centre of Gujarati and Indian textiles, Suzhou in Jiangsu province is China's equivalent. Jiangsu accounts for 20% of Chinese textile exports. And bizarrely, one street near Tiger Hill produces 80% of the world's wedding dresses and is also symbolic of rental and dress sharing culture. After visiting India, Suzhou seemed the perfect location to explore these issues of cultural, environmental and economic sustainability in the Chinese context. Though now the industry is highly mechanised, Suzhou shares a similar tradition of community-based craft. The Suzhou Museum and Tongli Watertown both celebrate the area's historic connections to silk and embroidery. Here at the museum, they've got lots of examples of this silk clothing, and I'm with Leo, and we're looking at some now. Dragons means the emperor. Only emperor can use some dragons like this, and the more dragon you wear, and the higher you are. And the clouds, I think this is a clouds. Uh, it resembles people, they govern. They gather around you, and they, it means that they will support you, garner, and be loyal to your country. Yellow is a very typical color of emperor. Blue, green, and some other colors resembles the ordinary people. In these areas, most of the ladies they are good at wavings, such as the embroidery things or the fabric. There are four types of embroideries are very famous, and Suzhou is one typical schools of that embroidery as well. Uh, unlike the others, we are famous for the double-sided embroidery, which means it is one piece of the fabric, but both sides they can be embroidered for different patterns. For example, one side could be a yellow cat, the other side would be a green cat. You would say the cat actually is watching on you. That makes the quality of the embroidery to say this is kind of skill. Not everybody can do the needlework we say embroidery, but it must come to certain standards, then we would say, ah, oh, this is embroidery instead of just a simple needlework. Buddhists, they would believe all the good things of their personal lives are the blessing of the Buddhas. They are supposed to share this with others. Hearing Susan, a local guide of Tongli Watertown, describe the double-sided embroideries brought to mind the Azraq block printers of Gujarat. They traditionally print both sides of the fabric so that cattle herders leaving for work in the dark early morning never have to worry about putting their clothes on inside out. As in India, artisan crafts are under threat. Susan emphasizes that Chinese government initiatives are helping to revitalize craft. It is a kind of traditional skill. It gets less and less people do that. It should be related with the modernization because girls have more choices instead of one choice. Then that is another result of the the so equality of the modern society. Nowadays, people, especially girls, they got very well educated. I think it is a universal issues for all the traditional hand-making things in the whole world. When the families have less people to do that, then it makes this kind of skills to be in danger as well. But fortunately, 
government, local government has run a vocational schools which encourage students to learn this skill. And uh, some master levels uh, professionals, they actually have their, their own workshops. So they actually show the skills to attract local people to learn that as a pastime hobby, not as a profession, but at least the people know how to do that. And with future practice, they could do more and be better. But centralized government initiatives aren't the only influence on craft revival. Hanfu, traditional dress from Han Dynasty China, between 206 BCE and 220 CE, is rapidly gaining popularity amongst younger audiences. The Han garment should have very wider sleeve, long sleeve, and uh, there should be some uh, waist bindings over there. And the important thing is for the skirt part, it should be long enough to cover the feet. Because in the past, it is said only the husband can have the honor to enjoy the feet of the wife. I personally think it is the influence of cosplay. <laughs> and uh, people started to pick up the culture of the traditional China again. And uh, the traditional garment is one way they would like to say the children's respect to the traditional culture as well. So this is one way to let people know. Instead of the Western t-shirt or shorts or the tie, China, we have such a rich tradition in the past. Examining environmental sustainability in India, water was mainly discussed in the agricultural context. Water scarcity is common to both countries. One third of Chinese rivers are too polluted for human contact, and the textile industry is China's third largest wastewater discharger. Like India, Chinese textile production is decentralized across 15,000 small-scale textile plants. Jiangsu is home to many synthetic dye-producing plants and researchers from Suzhou University are investigating chemical dyes and water pollution. Do you think that government regulations have had a big effect in stopping water pollution? Or yeah, pollution? yes, sure. Um, I think it's very effective uh, for pollution control. I think now in Suzhou, the dye pollution is well controlled. Inspired by Suzhou's water canal system, an interdisciplinary group of international students working at Suzhou University set out to tackle unsustainable water use in the Chinese textile industry and beyond, as Grace explains. In China, there are bodies and research centers looking into the problem of water sustainability and textiles, but they look at it in quite specialized ways. So they don't necessarily communicate or engage in dialogue with one another to produce a more holistic solution. The government's actually been quite proactive in passing environmental regulations here in China. The issue arises when companies can't comply with those regulations because they are usually quite small or medium-sized enterprises. They don't have the resources or the capital to kind of invest and change the technology in order to comply. So this happened in the Xiangcheng district of Suzhou, where we saw 96 companies close down. They weren't able to make that investment into new machinery, um, into wastewater treatment plants, and because of that, they were closed down. Transforming an industry, it's quite an involved process. You need a lot of things to change. Like you not only need the new technology to be developed. You also need that technology to be adopted. And in order to facilitate that adoption, you need government support, either via subsidies or other kind of incentives. Tough legislation, 
including Made in China 2025, has required factories to modernise by restricting the use of chemical dyes or mandating plants to release real-time emissions data for public access. Many smaller plants with limited resources were unable to adopt these measures and thus were forced to close, as Zoe Zhang explains. Well, actually, this is something that um, kind of an embarrassing situation. On one hand, that we want a clean world, a better world, that's for sure. And a government is doing the right thing to do. But another thing which is not practical, it asks you to shut down the faculties for like 15 days or something. That's not feasible for our to maintain our business, also not fair for our customers. So I would say this is a yes and no and good or bad situations. I think we have to be practical. I believe nowadays the quality standards are getting higher and higher as companies, you know, responsibilities that we take it, you know, as part of our job. National and international projects from the UN, the IFC, and the NRDC's Clean by Design work with Chinese textile factories to improve production efficiency and reduce environmental impact by reusing wastewater, for example. To learn more about the congruence between commercial and environmental concerns, listen to our episode on trade. Indian businesses often strive for the Chinese model of textile production. Shiraj from the Bombay Hemp Company explains how China leads the way in hemp production. China is currently supplying 70% of the world's hemp fibre. China has two companies, government invested, that's propagating hemp. They have about 603 patents on hemp already. In 2013, most 50% of the farmers in China who were farming for fiber were actually farming cotton. And that's reduced to 30 because the balanced 20 have taken to hemp. They're far ahead in the race. Italy, France, these guys have nailed long fibers. We've nailed short fiber and China's nailed both. This is the cottonized form of hemp in India and this is the cottonized form of hemp in China. That's the lab. So the idea is to walk this in India using Indian fibers. They're also reputedly not the best people to deal with. China's production is more in time delivery. We guarantee 30 days, then we will work 24 hours, two or three shifts to get it done because they all ran by machine. But my customer told me that um, in India, many of the production are shipping late because they are handmade. Sometimes the production being delayed. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, Indian meal very, very talented. They have a great design, great color, so the product are fantastic. So it's about the service and the delivery, which is, uh, you know, practical things to for our customer to consider if they rather buy from China or from India. The meal from two countries are competitors, basically. Large-scale mechanized production characterizes the Chinese textile industry, which outstrips India, its nearest export competitor, sevenfold. Zoe Zhang is the director of Hangzhou Monad Fabrics, which exports home furnishings to 35 countries, including the US and UK even dealing with liberties. She tells us more about trading in the Chinese market. In China, we know Taobao. Uh, in US or England, you, we know Amazon. But that's for end customers. Alibaba is a website for business to business, which means the Amazon buyers may find supplier on Alibaba.com. But for if you buy one piece or you know a retail pieces, you wouldn't necessarily go to Alibaba. All my time I've been in China, I've been hearing the phrase trading company. Can you just explain the difference between a trading company and a factory or a retailer? Uh, yeah, that actually is very good question. A trading company normally is you buy and sell. You do not produce. It doesn't matter that if you 
own the faculty or not, but you're mainly selling the product itself. But as a manufacturer, you must own the faculty, which means you are a producer. The China textile market is very big, and not only selling for exporting, but also selling to China. Also, even you know the textile from India is quite different from China. But I would say the influence of the textile and the standard is getting more globalized. Zoe also recognizes that globalization has fused cultures and trends, sharing designs and practices. Like Shiraz from Bahiko, she explains that sustainability is a prerequisite consideration of her business model. It's essential. You already been training or serving this way, so there's no need a special request.、Uh, no matter cotton or polyester, they all equal friendly. So we use a quality、uh, yarn supply and a quality dye house. You say you use eco-friendly fabrics. What does that mean? For example,、uh, for print, some of the old days print is that they hand printed and they put the water into the river, which. Make the river being polluted, but ever eco-friendly. For example, we do not need to wash them by machine. It just printed on paper, and then heat transferred to the fabrics. So there is no special damage to the air or to the water, and also is faster and more efficient. So that's why we call it、um, eco-friendly. Another thing is also it could be recyclable. Which means that、um, that fabric could be recycled, and after washing, it doesn't shrink or it doesn't come off, so it doesn't get polluted during the laundry. In our episode on artisan craft revival, we explore the role of women in the textile industry. Zoe, as an entrepreneur and self-professed pillow queen, shares her enthusiastic outlook on women in business. Never define myself as a female or male, or you know, I I don't think that's an issue. As a human being,、um, you're lucky to live in the world, and it's your right to be an individual. You will lucky to be a female because you know,、uh, you have some advantages to be a female. But you don't have to have children or get married or take care of a, you know family or something. I think that's something that people expect you to do, and you're stressful because you care about what people want you expectation. China and India share a long history of silk trading. The Calico Museum in Gujarat exhibits various Indian tapestries depicting Chinese landscapes, and artisans continue to use Chinese silks to meet consumer demand. In India, we debated various moral dilemmas surrounding fabric production, including silk. Yeah, silk isn't vegan, if you think of it that、mm. way. But then, doesn't that raise other dilemmas? Like, for instance, silk is used because of its strength. Much stronger than cotton thread,、mm-hmm. right? So if you need that strength, and you're not going to use silk thread, then you end up using synthetic thread,、mm-hmm. which we know has other issues. So, so、no. the point is this: yes. So, is it better to kill some? What ethical principles are we going to live by? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sericulture or silk farming cultivates silkworms to harvest, spin, and weave the thread from the cocoons into silk fabric. The practice was born and continues in China. As silkworms only feed on mulberry leaves, a tree species native to the area, to extract the silk thread, the cocoons are boiled, always killing the worms. And these moths have been domesticated for so long that they can no longer fly. Zoe and Angel from the Zuzhou Taihu Snow Silk Company describe China's cultural heritage and tradition of small-scale silk production. 
People here are so fascinated about silk, have deep connection with the silk industry. Uh, silk in China also perceived as expensive and luxury goods. But in our company, we don't want to sell the silk products into the public. You can see our silk uh, fabric is not very, uh, like, um, very royal, golden styles. It's like more plain very suitable for home using. In developing countries, the silk industry tends to like more handmade silk. It's more raw production process. I just came back from Laos. They had no machines at all. Every silk material, silk products, they made by hand. You can try. And one, one silk worm will produce one silk. And th this silk will have almost 1,000 meters. One silkworm will produce 1,000 meters? Yeah. Wow. You, you, you can just pull them. And is this quite strong then, when it's woven together? Silk very strong as a yes. material? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, this is nature. Zoe highlights an important assumption in Chinese understandings of sustainability. Often, products and processes are deemed sustainable because they are natural. To learn more about why this distinction is less simple than it seems, listen to our episode on environmental sustainability. For instance, this natural process has been adapted to meet consumer demand. As with fast-growing BT cotton in India, some of the silkworms have actually been genetically modified to produce coloured silk cocoons. In the Silk Museum, many visitors were disgusted by the worms. But still happy to buy the alluring silk textiles in the gift shop. I am surprised about it and I didn't expect, I, I just thought it's something actually that doesn't involve killing, but then when I know I appreciate it way more and I wouldn't buy stuff that is just useless and I wouldn't really use. I think there's a huge difference, especially in Western countries where we are taught to appreciate the food and your parents tell you from the youngest age don't throw the food, don't waste your food but we never are taught not to buy extra clothing my mum would probably say if you like it just buy another one now it seems like such a ridiculous thing because we are taught about conditions of labour but you never really reflect where you buy from I feel like I am aware I just don't really do things in practice and I, I honestly don't know why as everyday consumers of Chinese and Indian textiles, we're detached from the people and processes behind the fabrics we buy. Perhaps this reinforces the importance of reconnecting consumers with traditional craft, as well as modern production processes, to better understand and improve sustainability in the textile industry. <laughs> More than mere environmental friendliness, sustainability demands environmental, economic and cultural attention. An interdisciplinary, intercultural approach is essential to rethinking this industry. In our other episodes, you can learn more about the range of issues related to textile sustainability and the Focus India project. <laughs>